The following podcast may cause you to change your understanding of what it really means to be a human being. Side effects may range from a minor loss to complete annihilation of ego, a feeling of merging with something bigger than previously conceived, and a deep, abiding peace. Please, continue at mortal risk to yourself as a separate entity. Welcome. Enjoy. Greetings, 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 all one-time live listeners. I am so honored to have been able to have this, the following conversation with Donnie Fish, who has brought me up on top of the the big hill. As a Wisconsinite, I'd certainly call it a mountain on the land out in Montana, where every year for all the years I was going out there, there were special ceremonies, sort of the new year, that would happen towards the end of July, beginning of August, to fast, to teach me how to fast in those ways, to clarify for me so many of the elements of being genuinely here and connected to all beings, all of each other as family, brothers and sisters, as we humbly go into the sweat, to how to use tobacco and pray with a pipe and pay attention and understand difficulties. We talked about personal things back in the day, and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. And for some reason, during this interview, it's clear, and, and listening to it, I've listened to it now a few times before uh, publishing that Donnie remembered who I was. I had gotten it in my head that he hadn't for whatever whatever the cause is for that. I'm not sure. Um, a self of a sense of overinflated humility, perhaps, or something in that direction. Uh, but clearly he did. And uh, I, I just, you know, that's a, I find my self being a bit awkward at the end saying, oh, I don't know if you remember me. And, you know, he must have been thinking, yes, I do, <laughs> because I've been talking about it. Forgiveness for that. That's uh, that's just my own lack of wit. Um, sometimes in, in doing these interviews, I, I just want to be so engaged uh, and I can lose some of those, those material um, touchstones, if you will. A brief bio from Donnie. Um, Donald Fish is an enrolled Blackfeet tribal member on the Blackfeet Reservation and currently resides in Great Falls and has so for the past 26 years. He has a bachelor's degree in counseling psychology from the University of Great Falls and Associates in Human Services. He's presently an adjunct faculty member at the Great Falls College, MSU, and for the past 16 years has done so instructing Native American studies. Uh... Prior, uh, for 18 years, he was an addictions counselor for outpatient Native urban programs and urban inpatient program on the Blackfeet Reservation. Presently, he's living in an urban setting and does the best he can to practice his traditional ways and teach others to retain their people's sacred ways that have endured for thousands of years. Truly an honor. It's such a good 
conversation. I encourage you to listen closely to what Donnie shares. There are dimensions of truth here. Remember, if you have any questions, especially on this episode for Donnie or myself, email me at alloneTimeLive at gmail.com. Love yourselves. Love each other. We are all family. Breathe deep. Be present. Feel yourself now and enjoy this conversation. I love you. Here you go. So thank you for taking the time to uh, to have this conversation, Donnie. Do you remember when we first met? Um, not not really. It's been too long. Yeah, it's been a long time. Um, it was in 1995 or 96. 1995 was the first year I was out there, so... It's likely that we met then, but I, I seem to have a, a clearer memory of you as, as like I met you maybe the next year or something. But I remember it was in a sweat. I remember sweating with you. And, uh, you know, I came with Chris Moraski. Do you remember Chris? No, no, I don't. Chris, uh, Chris knew your, uh, your brother, you know, we, when, when I use names, by the way, before we get into this, like if we use names and stuff, we can bubble them out so that they're not on the podcast um, unless they're important or it's okay or it's someone else I'm going to interview. That's something that I do just so no one else feels like they've been involved in a conversation. So um, if we want to use people's names, it's fine and I'll bubble it out. But um, he was a friend of or had... Um, been working with Chris and Chris had his own teepee and, and he had like a wilderness um, survival camp up in the mountains in Idaho. Uh, and he's in Montana right now. And he wanted me to let you know, or to let the fish family know that if you guys need any assistance, he's got some students he's working with. He's doing a whole year long stone age uh, living experience, immersive experience with 12 students and they're they're happy to to provide any anything that's needed um if so he wanted me to pass that on all right but also i'm i'm going to be asking questions about uh things that i that i have experienced with with you and with your family on the land and if any of those things are things that you don't want to answer or that i am asking you know like in a way that you're not comfortable talking about on the podcast, just let me know. I don't know. Uh, I just want to be very respectful that way. So just say it and we'll not answer it, move on. Uh, I can edit it afterwards, stuff like that. Cool. Okay. All right. So, but first, like, uh, I want to start real simple. How did you start your day today? How did you start your Sunday? Well, got up and cook some oatmeal and toast for me and my granddaughter. That was about it. How old's your granddaughter? She's eight years old. Okay. Is she the, is that her computer you're using? No, this is mine. You, you have an interesting name online, <laughs> or at least it comes up as Kayla. 
Oh, online? Yeah, well, at first when it came on uh, into this Zoom meeting, it said Kayla is asking to enter. And I, and I was like, oh, no, someone else is trying to get in this meeting room before I have this meeting with Donnie. But then I realized, oh, it's, it's, it's you. Yeah, I don't know how that name came up. I think I've seen it before. So I don't know how that name came up. I really don't. Secret identity. It's, it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, last time that I was out in your neck of the woods, you were still working with prisons and prisoners and, and offering sweat lodges for those guys in, great, in the Great Falls area. Are you still doing that? <laughs> no, they got really a... <clears throat> Uh, I don't know if it's strict, but they make it really hard for the, it's Great Falls Pre-Release Center, Transition Center. Okay. And they make it harder for them to come out and sweat. So so I haven't done anything with them for about, geez, uh, 10 years maybe around now. And when you did that, did you see uh, a good recovery rate from people that had gone through that program and participated in your sweats? Was it helpful to them? Yeah, it was helpful to them. <clears throat> it was only uh, like once or twice a month that I got with them. But I was trying to work out where I could do something with them on a weekly basis when a friend of mine worked there. And we <clears throat> started doing that. But then uh, the administration curtailed that. So. Yeah. So that's been a while. Are you still sweating regularly or holding your own lodges? Oh, yeah. We sweat every two weeks. Except when the weather's too bad, we don't we can't get out there. The road's plugged up, so we <clears throat> well, we had one this past Saturday. You do it up in the land, up in Browning, or you you do it out in Great Falls? Out in Great Falls, <clears throat> it's about five miles south of Great Falls. There's a friend of mine back in '98. He uh, asked me if I wanted to build a sweat on his land, so I've been there ever since then. Can you talk a bit about the the rights of people building sweats? I, I think that that's something important. So the the people that'll listen to this, Donnie, uh, according to my stats, I've got about this is a very small podcast. I've got about fifteen people that seem to listen to every episode within a couple of days that I put it out. Then over time, it may be up to about a hundred people. And according to the statistics, it's across 20 different countries right now, but most of that is between Sweden and the U.S. Uh, and it goes across many ages, but a lot of people are around my age in, in their 40s. Uh, I think it's between 40 and 60 is, is how they break up that, that age group. Um, so that's kind of the, the people with this podcast that are listening so far. But, you know, a big... This has come from my heart, Donnie, to do this podcast, and it's really a way for my daughter or my nephews or anyone that I love to be able to hear what, what I think is important to learn and to share, and that's why I'm, I'm doing this. And that's why, again, I'm so grateful to be talking with you, because you have been a very important teacher to me, 
uh, as of your brothers and, and sisters and mom. I never met your dad, uh, but your whole family has been very important to me. And it's, it's great to share this with people that I care about and love. That's the whole, like the heart that's in the middle of this podcast. So back to something I learned in helping set up the sweats on the land up in Browning, uh, that it's, it's important that they're done in a special way, the right way. And it, it isn't just that anyone should feel like they can just set up a sweat lodge. Uh, and if you do, that could be maybe not the, not the way a sweat lodge ought to be. Can you talk about that? Well, <clears throat> it goes back to our, uh, our belief systems about how uh, Creator, Holy Spirit, everything in this world is connected together. The unseen powers of this world. And so what happens is someone is going to be getting trained, taught, educated in this way of life to believe in Creator and the Holy Spirit to establish relationships with everything. And part of that, a big part of that is humility and uh, being humble. And what happens here is when a teacher sees that that person is <clears throat> conducting themselves in a respectful way with all relationships, understands about the relationship with the spiritual beings, and they will give them rights to run a ceremony, whether it be a sweat lodge or other kind of ceremonies. And even with carrying a pipe, a sacred pipe, carrying that. So that's part of our protocol and uh, <clears throat> being able to conduct ceremonies. So yet, like you say, not everybody can just do that. You're taught that, and you learned a little bit about it, you know, just the basic stuff, how to, with our ways, how to build a fire, how to get the rocks prepared, smudging, and that's just a little part of that. Yeah. So that's basically goes back to believing in this, in this way. You got to establish that relationship with the spiritual world. You got to, you know, know, in a sense of uh, the language, you gotta know the songs, how everything is done, the reasons why, the, the deeper understanding of that, and that comes to commitment to this way of life. It's not a hobby, you know, it's not something that you're gonna go learn for about six months to a year, mm. think you know it all, and and that that actually happens. You know that for yourself, it happens in this world. You can get on the <clears throat> YouTube, Learn how to build a sweat, right? And learn even learn songs with sweats, so mostly Sioux songs, though. But you can get on YouTube and do that. And for me, when people do that, they create, I believe, a disharmony, mm-hmm. a disharmony in this world that we've been doing for since the beginning of time for us. 
you know, these, these ceremonies have been given us to help us in our way of life to uh, <clears throat> to continue to worship Creator in in those ways to help establish that, keep that bond going, that faith going, and hope, and and a way to help ourselves to survive in this world, have a good life. So that's what I believe as a people that just learn how to do it. They create a disharmony because they don't have that deeper connection. They don't have that understanding and they might do it. What I call some people come to uh, sweat with me. They get gung ho for about a year and they find out it's a commitment. It's a way of life and they quit coming around. Cause when we go sweat, you know, for yourself that it's not, going to church for an hour and a half or an hour, you know, us, it's, for me, I go out there at nine o'clock in the morning and leave around four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. It's a whole day thing. So, but that sweat is just part of our way of life. It enhances what we do, gets us focused, things like that. Thanks, Donnie. That was great. And it's so good to, just to hear you talk about it, and your voice and what you're talking about just brings me back there. Um, I was out there for, oh, I don't know, altogether over a 15-year period, but probably 10, 11 times and spent a lot of time just on the land and, and uh, helping out where I could and, and learning a lot. And I remember when I first came out there, I was... It was such an impression. I remember being met at the gate by. Sorry on, on his passing. Um, and please give my love and greetings. To... Um, and, uh, and, and it was, it was a spectacular experience, but the, the, the healing that I witnessed, I couldn't understand. I was coming from a totally, you know, my father is a physician in Western medicine. He's a nephrologist. And I sort of uh, grew up with an interest in and a regard for both understandings of the world, the way of, of Western medicine and the scientific method, but also the way of spirituality. When I was a child and I was very sick, my mother would heal me from praying and putting her hands on me. And I experienced that directly. I couldn't get away from the pain any other way, but two ways. One was from my mom praying like that. And the other was from just staring at the pain right in the center and it would like dissolve. But coming out there to the land and you know, seeing the healing that's done in the arbor, I witnessed it, but I couldn't understand it. And I would watch, you know, everyone working closely. Uh, and it took me, and, and in the sweat lodges, you know, people talking in between rounds about animals that came in or grandfathers that came in or, or other uh, relatives messages that were there, um, you know, I wanted to experience it so much, but I had like such a thick head. Like I just didn't have the mechanism in my understanding to allow for it. And it took years, but finally, finally one year watching people go up to the Arbor 
And I, and I'm interested to hear if this is anything like you experienced, but watching someone go up to the Arbor for healing. Um, he was being helped by a couple relatives and I looked and I saw like some shadow on him. And, and then I think it was doing the doctoring. He came up, you know, and he's, he's got the smudge and he's smudging him up. And, and then I see like where he really goes in with the smudge after he smudged them all up is right where I saw that shadow and he's kind of working it out of him. And I see like the shadow kind of move up to his shoulder and then uh, was done, but I still saw it. Like there's some shadow still up there. And then went over him again and he goes right to that shoulder where I, you know, where I was seeing that. And then I felt like, okay, now like, my thick head is thinning out a little bit. So now I'm able to accept something that I, I didn't grow up with an understanding, but you know, because I've, I, I'm open to it and I really am trying to learn these ways and, and see this, I was able to finally see something like that happen. So it, it takes, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm not even an infant in these ways, but I had a glimpse now and again, and it took so long just to see those things. Is it anything like that for you? When are you? A, I know you are a pipe carrier, and you can hold sweat lodges. Are you a medicine man? I don't remember if you doctored. I know did. Do you doctor people? Uh, I don't know if you remember. Uh, they call her Bessie. Yeah, I know Bessie. Bessie. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she, uh, she with us, we don't call ourselves medicine man or medicine woman. We don't, we don't label ourselves that way. It's, it's more like if, uh, if somebody comes to me, says they have some kind of problems, whether it's health wise or social, whatever it may be. You know, we're telling them, well, go see, go see, this is what they can do. And this is, you know, and usually people will know how to approach them, the protocol of asking for help. So that's, we don't use the word medicine man or medicine woman. I think that was used for us white folks to understand. I remember talking about good medicine men and bad medicine men. I think we'd talk about that, but that's probably yeah, just for yeah, translation. Use, use those terms in that sense. And, uh, mm -hmm. But my, 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 my Bessie, when, when she had that, uh, was it a cancer in her brain? And she almost died. And there's some guys that came from Canada and doctored her. That was back. And, uh, they, they were doing that, I think it was like in March, March or April. They only gave her a, a week or two weeks to live. So they came in down in a, what we call Indian doctrine. And so <clears throat> she uh, got out of the hospital and they gave her medicine to take. And then uh, around this time of the year, uh, it was either in September or October around there, she landed back in the hospital. The cancer, she quit taking that medicine. I understand she quit taking that medicine, and and she was doing regular chemotherapy. So at that time, uh, I'd go see her uh, all the time while she was up in the hospital. Uh, that it's called uh, 
what's well, a housing place for the cancer patients. They can just live there for free. Gift of life housing. Mm. And uh, so we, uh, one evening, we went outside and we smudged up and, and she gave me rights to doctor. And so that, that was, <clears throat> I can't remember what year that was. And she told me what to do. So I follow what she does and then mm. I, and I learned from her. But uh, <clears throat> part of that thing is what you're talked about was being able to see things, okay. And it, for some of us, it's, it's a gift. You can see those things on a person. And uh, what <clears throat> we do is we, for men, for working on men, we can use our hands. For women, it's more we, we need uh, a, a wing or ego wing, ego feather to use to help remove stuff. We don't use our hands on women. That's uh, uh, the way it is anyway. But see, like with you, it, it, you can develop that. And I, I've been doing it for a long time. And, and <clears throat> sometimes I can see things, sometimes I can't, but I go with my feelings and I just pray hard. And what the, the thing is that <clears throat> what we believe is the spiritual beings, your grandfathers, creator, whoever, whatever it is, works through you. And especially if you went out fast and you did a few times, when you get fat, when you go out on a fast, you do, you acquire spiritual helpers. And so those spiritual helpers created everything. They're the ones that do the work. They're the ones that work through you. And because we're human beings, we don't have no superhuman powers or anything. Right. You know, right. It's the spirits that work through you and help you out, show you what to do, help you see things, you know. So that's <clears throat> other people they've are gifted that way. Some of us have to work thirty years, twenty years mm -hmm. to, to be able to get those things. I I have so much that I'd like to keep asking about in these in this area, but about you know being human. I know I'm, I'm alive for a short amount of time. So maybe at, you know, a really long life is around a hundred years. If, if you're, you know, lucky with good health and you can live that long, that's a long life. And that hundred years is really a short amount of time. And there's a much longer, larger world that we're a part of, that invisible world that, that we are a part of, that, that we're like, inside of and that's all around us all the time um and we can live our whole lives and not be aware of it or choose to not believe in it but nevertheless it is there and it has it has different elements to it as well you know when we maybe uh when we pray um in these in in these ways i know there's you start with a certain direction and then you move in this sunwise way to the directions and the uh, above, below, and within. And we're praying not just to directions, but to the 
to certain characteristics in those directions. Can you, can you talk something about that, that aspect of the invisible world or of, of the thing that we're, we're connecting with to, you know, humbly ask for help from and yeah, what, what that is about. Can you talk about that? Well, actually, I, I do a class at uh, Great Falls College here in town. It used to be called Native American Religion. They changed the name to Native American Beliefs and Philosophies. So that class, uh, uh, I talk about this sort of stuff. And right now I'm doing, uh, I got a part-time job with, it's called Seek and Recovery. And <clears throat> with what I know with my class I teach, I incorporated that and what I learned over the years and uh, working as an addictions counselor for about 16, 18 years. We're doing like a pilot program right now. I get uh, it's intensive outpatient treatment program. I get two days a week out of that to teach this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Meshed with addictions treatment. Mm -hmm. So the praying part, you know, <clears throat> part of what I teach about that is <clears throat> uh, there's this, uh, I call it six core concepts. I got this from a book I read. It's, uh, it's called uh, uh, The Source of Life, uh, The Sacred. It's written uh, by uh, the Navajo Community College. And so they, at the beginning of the book, they talk about six core concepts. So that's what I use as a core of all teachings to understand, and I expand in that quite a bit. So, the, so it's prayer, personal prayer, and collective worship. So prayer is, what I teach in this class is that when that baby is in the womb, this is why I go back to talking about dog days. And it's still relevant today, but it's different now. So that baby when it's in the womb is already exposed to prayer. It's already exposed to song, it's already exposed to language. It's when that baby is born, <clears throat> it's already immersed, immersed in prayer already. And so as it grows from a baby to eight years old, it's allowed to play and do things, but it's also witnessing. It's part of the family praying. So in this day and age, it's, it's still really relevant. It's not uh, done like it was in the dog days, but it's still there. Like my granddaughter, she, uh, she is learning about that quite a bit. So she reminds me a lot sometimes when we sit down and eat to pray. Mm -hmm. So, you know, with prayer, it's uh, can done in di many different forms. Whispering, saying it out loud, but there's always a focus for the prayer, a focus. And you're going to pray, you can pray for uh, something. And then with prayer ceremonies, you know for yourself, it comes with, uh, with offerings. And uh, <clears throat> so when there's a focus there, you know, prayer can be done any place. It can be done in many ways. So when you're in ceremony or ritual, there is usually protocol for praying for things and how it's done. So you're talking about the directions. So prayer, what you're, what you're telling me the directions are is usually 
prayer that's done with uh, going, going into a sweat or praying with your pipe, things like that. But if you're just sitting there and praying, you just pray. Mm-hmm. Sponge up and pray. So that's, uh, so that's the thing is uh, when you have people together, there's a collective mindfulness. Everybody's focused together. There's an intent. But you, you, you know, it's with every every religion denomination. And with us, it's a little bit different because of uh, <clears throat> using offerings. And when we pray, you know, we have our language and we use smudging. We use things that help enhance that. It's, it's just, <clears throat> you know, prayer is universal. But the thing is, is that when we have an intention and a focus, that's what mainly makes it powerful. And uh, <clears throat> usually in church settings, you have one person that's doing a praying, talking. And so when I, when we sweat, you know, I I go I, I do it. I added another dimension to what I, when I do sweats. Uh, my my. Uh, he was a, he's a teacher of mine, a, a good friend and relative. His name is So he taught me a lot and, and uh, I used some of his teachings. So when we're in a sweat, everybody in that sweat gets a chance to say what they want prayers for, go around in a circle. Because what, what, what I was taught originally is the person that's up there is one that does the talking and praying. And just sometimes if somebody is bringing an offering or wants to get doctor, they say what, what they want. But in this, when I do a sweat now, everybody has a chance to do that. So when, before we go into sweats, you know, we invite all the, all the Holy Spirits from each direction, the Creator, all the grandfathers, we invite them to come in that sweat with us, help us, protect us. And so when we're in that sweat, I tell the people that when we're asking for prayers to say the name of the person so we know who to pray for and their name. And I tell them you're talking to the spirits that we invited in here. You're talking to the Creator that we invited into this lodge. And that comes right with believing in that way. Yeah. So you believe yeah. in the power of our individual self with everybody else praying together to invite those spirits in. So I tell them at the same time what's happening in our traditional education is that we listen. So we listen to what each person is saying in there. And so when we get through and we start sweating, you will remember what, what somebody said in there during one of the four rounds. And so that's that's about we and us. We're connected as family, we believe. And so we help each other out. So that's what, that's what I can think about prayer. You know? Thank you. And the, the Holy Spirits from different directions, can you say something about them? Who, who are they? Oh... Well, you can start with each direction has spirits in each direction, you know. Like with the uh, east, you know, we <clears throat> we know that's where the sun comes up. 
And so, so for each tribe, it's uh, pretty much uh, sometimes not universal, but everybody kind of has the same beliefs in a sense. So like for the West is where the mountains are for us. That's where the thunder beams are. The rain comes from. And so north is old man winter. Winter, we talk to the old lady. The old man's up there. So this, that's what each each um, direction just represents spirits. That's all where I can explain it. Sure. You know? And each direction has spirits. Each direction. And what about ancestors, grandfathers, and uh, yeah, how how they come into a lodge? How does that how does that connection from life work into the afterlife and into inviting people in? And can you say something about that? Well, what I understand uh, when we say grandfathers. Okay, so grandfathers has a wide uh, connotation to it. Grandfathers could be the rocks. Mm. Grandfathers could be that eagle bear, those spiritual beings. Grandfathers could be our great grandparents, our mom and dad that have went to the other side. And a lot of times we, uh, we try to feed them in ceremony. We symbolize we have a spirit plate, or when we eat, we'll put a little bit of food out, we feed them. And what some people do is they'll, they'll bring food to a, a grave site, put food down, feeding it this, this spiritual being, symbolically feeding them in that way. So when we say uh, grandfathers, that could mean just anything, you know. And that, so it just means just saying holy spirits up above and on Mother Earth. So that's one of the things that we, we use that, that word is grandfathers. Thanks. And tobacco, I know, this is an important plant used in, in making offerings. And, and if you need, if your granddaughter needs anything or... I just got to close this door. Cool, man. No worries. <laughs> and my wife is doing some cleaning right now, too. And I got a dog over here who's thankfully uh, being quiet right now, but that's not always the case. So life goes on as we're doing these interviews. It's totally fine. Thanks. Um, so tobacco is used, you know, in, in making offerings. I know when I went up to fast, you make a tobacco circle around where you're going to be uh, and where you're going to be praying. When, if you ask someone to give you doctoring, it's part of what you give. Um, when you have prayer ties, it's, it's part of what you put in that prayer tie to offer. Uh, it's part of the, the mixture that's smoked in the pipe. So why tobacco and, and what does it do? Well, see, tobacco back in the dog days, way back before the white man came here, it was a different form of tobacco. Mm. And that tobacco back then was actually had a lot of healing properties in it. 
And <clears throat> so that's what was used. And I'm not sure her stories, each tribe that has how tobacco uh, came to be. And there was tobacco ceremonies for a lot of tribes. There was a special person that took care of the, where the tobacco grew. There was a special way how to pick it. And <clears throat> so tobacco, it was used mainly for the pipes and as it came to be more as an offering. And so <clears throat> because uh, tobacco is breathed in, when you take a look at that as, <clears throat> as that medicine, a lot of times with, with, I don't know if you ever noticed, but when we smoke the pipes and stuff like that, Usually it's, it's, it's not inhaled, it's just uh, breathed in and blown right back out, you know, mm -hmm. don't inhale it. That's what, uh, <clears throat> what we try to try to do, and that way it was, it was sacred. It was a sacred plant that one time, and it still is, but because of uh, commercialization, we, uh, there's still natural tobacco that's used. But you know, you take a look at tobacco as an offering, and it's, so it ties right back into our belief systems. Like everything in this world that's natural, that has a, that's not man-made, everything. So everything has a spirit of a soul in it. That tobacco has a spirit and soul. We pray to that tobacco when we use it. And if we use it in a pipe, we ask the, all the spiritual beings because we're going into asking the directions to be part of that sacrament, that tobacco that's going into that pipe there, to be part of that. Because oh, that's why that pipe, the bowl represents the universe uh, and uh, the stem represents everything on earth. You know, it's all ties in together. That's why the pipe's so, so sacred and powerful because it represents the whole world, the universe, everything. And, uh, and one of the things is that <clears throat> is when we offer tobacco out, we always got to give something back to, uh, to honor the, the willow. When we, when we, before we cut the willow, we, we smudge up and we put tobacco down as an offering, asking that willow to forgive us for taking its life. And we, we, we make that, that connection, that's that uh, being responsible for your actions and behaviors. And also your honoring creator's creation. And you tell that willow what you're going to use it for. And we just, just don't go cut it down, but we, that's that connection with everything that we believe in. So when you offer tobacco that, so when you, when you offer tobacco to uh, uh, somebody for advice, doctor, an elder, medicine person, and you're offering tobacco with them. You are actually you're offering tobacco to their grandfathers, their spiritual helpers. See, and so that person that takes that tobacco will either go pray with it, might use it for his pipe, or might even tell you what to do after we smudge and pray with that tobacco. We'll ask you to go bring that tobacco out to a tree and dump it out. See, that's, that's part of that connection with uh, believing in this way. But one of the things that people forget that is when you offer tobacco to that person, 
they take that tobacco, they, it's like signing a contract that they're obligated to help you any way they can, see. And so people a lot of times think that's all that's needed. And a person might have to go out and pick medicine, might have to go out and get rocks, might have to go out and get wood if they want to sweat, want to do a sweat. They might have to do all kinds of things that takes money, see. So that person expects the world is for giving a pouch of tobacco. So what you got to do is remember that that uh, offering is for the spiritual beings, the grandfathers of that person. But you also got to give a gift to that person. You know, back in the dog days, what they did is they would give them uh, moxins, tanned hides, do give them meat, whatever you know, as part of the help them live and survive so that's the same thing with today and if that person asks for money then you got to back off but you but you need to <clears throat> give them five dollars for gas ten dollars for gas or give them a blanket or something for them but you, you you're also doing that offering to their helpers the spiritual helpers mm -hmm. so tobacco is part of that is a big part of that because of what how it came to our people way back then how it's used i just, I just i'm gonna tell you again how nice it is to hear you talk about this stuff and how it just brings me back and these lessons that i learned out there from you from your brothers and sisters and and mom uh stay with me i mean they're they're like part of my bones they're they're part of the the very important part of my life experience that i've continued to to grow based on uh including this respect and now that i'll be 50 in a year and a half um the understanding and appreciation that i have for just what you said that there that everything has a spirit that that all life is sacred that there is a connection that doesn't start and stop with us human beings, but that we're part of a, a long continuation and that we need to have respect and acknowledgement for all of the life that we share this, this universe with. Like this is really an important part of how I understand being alive right now and how I uh, appreciate it and I'm grateful for it. Um, I had an experience on just this past Friday night, I was taking this dog over here uh, for a walk and there's a graveyard nearby. This dog likes to bark like crazy if he sees another dog. So I try to take him in a place where there's not going to be so many other people, dog walkers. So we're walking in the graveyard and I came to a, you know, I feel great peace in the graveyard. It used to be that I would feel maybe spooky or something. Um, maybe. But now when I'm there and I'm really sitting there, I, I really have such love and appreciation and honor for all of these lives before me, all the different kinds of lives, different kinds of people, whoever they were, all of them have come and gone. And I have such like peaceful respect and regard for them. Not that I feel like I know them or they know me, but it's just a sense of peace and an acknowledgement of that life that's lived. And on Friday night when I was walking, uh, this dog started to bark at something and, and he hadn't barked the whole walk before that. And we walked around on the path and ended up uh, going towards what he was barking 
near and then he was fine. It was a large boulder. And I, I felt like I'm going to connect with this large grandfather, this large boulder in a way that I was taught. My, my first teacher was a Menominee elder uh, or Ojibwe elder, John Boltman. And he taught about uh, that if you're ever lost, you can connect with a rock because they've been there for a long time and you can ask them, you know, where you should go and and listen and the rock will tell you and i've done that when i've been lost in the woods as it's almost getting dark i thought i knew where i was and i didn't and i've asked a rock and the rock said go this way and i was just connecting with that rock gratefully for whatever reason i felt like this was the right thing to do uh wasn't trying to be weird wasn't trying to do anything at all i was just doing what i felt i was moved to do and then we walked on and as we walked on, we ended up in an open part of the graveyard. And suddenly the air was very still. And I smelled a very sweet fragrance of, of like women's perfume. So nice. There's no women's perfume around this. You know, there wasn't someone over there putting perfume on. And it was the nicest smell. It was very distinct. And um, it felt like it was someone good was there. And then uh, later when we were walking home, I was almost home, I thought about this again, and there was the smell again, very distinct, very clear, and very, very beautiful smell. So this I, I think of as like a ghost or something like this, something with an encounter with, with someone that's passed. And I know with the Blackfeet, you guys like have no question about it. For me, where I come from, you have some people that, you know, believe it, uh, don't, aren't sure what to think about it. Some people that say, no, that's silly. Um, but I absolutely know there's something there, though I don't understand how it works or what it exactly is. But I, I understand, you know, from being up on the land, this is something that, that is accepted. There are ghosts and... I don't think they're always bad. I think some are good, some are bad, but could you talk a bit about your understanding of ghosts and how that interaction works? I feel like I talk so much, Donnie. I'm sorry. It's such a long story, man. Thanks. But that's where I was driving at with it. Yeah, that's all right. That's all right. Uh, <clears throat> that's why I am too. Right on. Yes, yeah, you just can't give a yes or no answer. It's always got to accompany with a description or a story or something like that. And yeah. so, you know, one of the things is uh, our people have changed and we have evolved and we have adapted. Our ways are still viable because of uh, the environment we've uh, lived in. So, what we talk about, you know, death, graveyards. And so back then they buried them right away because there was no embalming or anything like that. <clears throat> uh, but one of the things is that even if that was a good person that passed away and they might be up on a hill or prairie or someplace and people know where they're buried at, they're covered with rocks up in a tree or in a cave or something like that. And then further on, they were put in old, into old abandoned houses. So 
lot of times. But when people knew of where that person was <coughs> laid to rest, they would make a wide detour of that burial site. And because <coughs> it's a, in the belief of the, of the unseen powers, spiritual beings, even if that person's good, they still avoid that out of respect, but at also at for uh, their own well-being, because that spirit has uh, is in a spirit world, so it has spiritual powers now. See, so that's why they. But now, in our, you know, our people, we have graveyards right next to houses, you know, right in town. So it's changed, but a lot of the traditional people uh, will still avoid the grave sites. There's a lot of uh, people that are with our, our sacred bundles, ceremonial bundles that uh, <clears throat> they won't go to wakes. They won't go to uh, burials. You know, they might go there when a person is buried but to put them in the ground but they uh they'll avoid that because of our belief systems and the, and the unseen powers the spiritual beings so you know <clears throat> so that's the thing is is a uh, is uh when somebody passes away we believe that uh, because of uh, unconditional love of creator they're going to go to the sand hills or happy hunting grounds or what you call heaven that's where they're going to go but we help them with that journey with our people there used to be <clears throat> a ceremony to for when a person dies and leaves and we still have that in a lot of ways that we have songs what we call journey songs we'll sing those songs those, those prayers to help that person get to where they're going mm -hmm. sometimes we have people that are not good and so those people require extra help to get to this, or it's good. But sometimes they're going to be stuck here on earth and wonder. You know, so the family's got to pray for them to get to the side. It might take a while. But those spirits that are stuck here on earth, <clears throat> the family's got to help them get to the other side. So those spirits that are wondering, those ones sometimes we see, and sometimes those those are the ones that will create mischief or harm or whatever. So those ones, the good ones that I went to that side, there's just a thin veil between a human and an unseen world. A thin veil. It can it's transparent. Uh, it <clears throat> go they can go back and forth. And we pray to ask them for help. So that's one of the things is for the ghosts that we might see sometimes, <clears throat> there's reasons for that. And sometimes we, uh, if we see something, we'll smudge up and pray for that, whatever it is. They might be asking for help, or they might come to you in a dream, asking for help to go where they need to go. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they come in their dreams to help you out. It just depends. So that's just kind of my understanding. Thanks. You mentioned a bundle. Can you talk about what bundles are? Oh, a bundle is something that comes from way long time ago. 
and a spiritual being will come to came to somebody a long time ago and showed them <clears throat> to put things that are sacred parts of animals or whatever it might be sticks or things like that and how to put them in there how to pray for them how, and each each thing has a song and those bundles there are to help the people they're opened up once a year they're covered with cloth back then was hide and so the balls over time they're covered with cloth sometimes they are covered with hides so those bundles have a lot of sacred things inside of them and like uh, some bundles that the only most of the bundles i know of and there's some that don't have that but when that first thunder happens and they open that bundle it's for uh, <clears throat> renewal healing connect the people back to uh, worshiping and uh, people will make vows to uh, dance with that bundle at that ceremony so so that's what the bundles are they're just comprised of sacred objects inside of them and they're taken care of just like it's a child they're hung up on the wall and if you have a bundle in your house you have to <clears throat> uh, follow the protocol or how how to act how to behave when that bundles in the house there can't be no yelling or screaming anything like that no alcohol drugs in there you know that such a sacred being that's what uh, the way i could explain it thanks in terms of alcohol and drugs there are some traditions that may use marijuana there's some traditions that may use uh peyote or or further south mushrooms or or other psychoactive substances the blackfeet do not use anything like that is that correct as far as i understand yeah and what's why is that what's important about that well we believe everything has a spirit you know and uh <clears throat> some of the things they talked about like with marijuana you know they uh it used to be uh, uh it still does i guess uh, a lot of it was done in ceremony use for healing and stuff and for us there you know we were just given what we have up this way in our land, our environment. <clears throat> so we didn't have any uh, peyote growing around. And peyote actually comes from Mexico. And it just slowly came up to, uh, across the United States. And <clears throat> so we never, some people, some of our people use it. Uh, and uh, peyote ceremonies are part of the Native American church. But mostly of our traditional people, we, we just do what we're using. Uh, we never had anything grow like that around us. It was never incorporated into any of our ceremonies or anything like that to use. So that's what I understand of that, you know, <clears throat> alcohol and drugs. Are, each, each thing has a spirit of its, itself, powerful. But peyote and other, uh, I don't know about mushrooms. I never heard anything about mushrooms being used in ceremonies, probably down further south, probably, maybe. Yeah, Mexico, as I understand. You have been a very good teacher, and I've been asking you sort of um, these, these factual questions. If you don't mind, I'd like to talk more about 
Donnie's own personal history, your way to get here. I, I never had the honor of meeting your father, but uh, his reputation preceded him. And uh, I know that he was very, very well respected. I've seen his photograph uh, every year that I was out there. Um, and you, you have, is it four brothers and two sisters? Yeah. He was actually my uncle. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. But because we grew up in the same area where we call Marks and Flat, see, I grew up with them. And in our ways, we really didn't have cousins. Uh, first cousins, second cousins, we didn't have those. We were just family, see? Yeah. And that's what <clears throat> comes into play there. Okay. So when uh, <clears throat> my grandfather and my grandmother were the ones that raised me. So when I was like almost about two years old, probably around there, my grandfather and my grandmother took me. And my grandfather, I, I believe he was like maybe 85. And I think my grandma was in her 70s. So they were old when they took me. Hmm. And when I was 10 or 11 years old, my grandfather died. And he was just, he was just starting to teach me. See, I was, in our ways, are, you know, when you're, a baby on up to about eight years old around there, you're allowed to be a child, just play, play, you know, but you're also put in ceremonies, you learned, you, you got that traditional education, how to listen, act and behave, you got all those, that's what my grandparents were teaching me. And uh, <clears throat> at that age here, my grandfather was starting to, took me into a sweat, he started, uh, he, uh, <clears throat> Uh, inducted me into this one society. That's no, nobody, I think I'm the only member living in that society. It's, uh, there's, I think you might know the songs to that society. And he took me into a, 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 a Sundance, uh, what we call Ogon, took me into that. So he was just starting to teach me. I was getting more responsibilities. And so he died uh, when I was 10, 11 years old. So my education kind of stopped then. My grandmother, because of my traditional ways, she could show me a little bit, but, she, but it had to be my uh, males. So I got into school, high school, you know, middle school, grades, uh, junior high, high school. So I kind of drifted away from what I was learning. Then I got into alcohol and drugs, see. So during that time there, my, <clears throat> my uncle would try to get me to be with him. But because I was crazy and <clears throat> more interested in drinking and getting high and being with my friends. So when I turned 29, <clears throat> I, I went and stayed with him uh, I think I was 26 
around 26, 26 years old. I, I stayed with them for a whole spring and a summer. And they, uh, <clears throat> out to that camp. Same land? Yeah. He tricked me. <laughs> he said, come out to the ceremony and tomorrow we'll bring you back. And that was like in about April or around there. So I went out there. I didn't get a ride back in the town. I ended up staying there all spring and summer and until winter, until we couldn't move around in winter, we moved back into town. So I got a good taste of that life. But when I uh, <clears throat> got to be 29, 30, got off of alcohol and drugs, then I went back to him. He started teaching me and I started learning. So he was my uncle. But he was my teacher, mentor, and everything. But because I was talking about family, no first, second, third of cousins in that sense. So everybody took me even before then, but more so now. As a brother, sister, still that way. That's how I've always known you, sure. That's how everyone regards you. You've got a very great family that way. That's really great. I, I remember you talking about um, sometimes when you had you had some experiences like where you had difficulty accepting some things. You, I think you talked about a feather dancing one time. And if, there, if these are some of the things that you can't talk about or don't want to share, uh, we'll cut it out. Um, but otherwise, I'd like to, to hear about that because, you know, one of the things I talk a lot about, what I, what I want out of this podcast is for people to just really understand the, the path of being humble and accepting that we're a part of a larger universe, that there's more to this world than just us and, and the way to experience that directly, not from listening to someone's stories but to have their own direct experience the kind of thing that shows them for themselves personally that there's more to life than just what they think about themselves or think is important but to to experience something bigger than that and i remember i think i remember you talking about a time when you didn't believe in this sort of thing as much as, as people around you. And then you had some experiences that helped you really accept, okay, there's, there's definitely something going on here. Is, am I right on that? And if so, could you talk about that? Do I remember that right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and it, you know, that has to do with living in this modern world mm. and growing up in a, uh, it's different now than it was back when I was growing up in school. Because in school now, they are teaching more about our history and giving the language to honor our people. But back when I was in school, back in the 60s, <clears throat> even into the 70s, it was kind of like that, where it's, it starts changing about 72 around there. And so when you're in school, there's no books about uh, who your people are. 
anything. And <clears throat> all, all that's in the books is just that you were discovered to that, right. you know, kind of rhetoric. Yeah. See? Yeah. And so I, I took that in. And as I, <clears throat> you know, with the, a lot of the prejudice and uh, biases and stereotyping, even in uh, the movies back then, you know, the John Wayne movies, things like that. And <clears throat> so there was a lot of conditioning that was happening both in the world back then that made you uh, <clears throat> not feel good about who you were. And <clears throat> so when you get into alcohol and drugs, it's more so. And then you're taught, you know, that's always confusing, especially if you don't uh, grow up in a traditional education. You're not given the creation stories. You're not being taught how you came to be, how things came to be in this world with uh, bundles, the smudging, everything. You're not taught that. And so you're taught in uh, this modern world about you might have came from Israel, you were in the lost Israel, Israelite tribes, or or you uh, you might be a part monkey, you know, or there's a big bang theory, and you're either you came from across the Bering Strait, you know, all these things are you these were that this is what was happening to a lot of the people back in my age. <clears throat> and so when I got back into this way of life, I had all of that. I had to feel good about who I was as a person. Because I was, when I sobered up, I, I realized how much <clears throat> I didn't feel good about who I was. I didn't have a, a identity, self-worth, self-esteem all tied together. And uh, <clears throat> I was taught about who God was, not about Blackfeet, God, creation. I wasn't taught that, so I started learning that. So that's why I had <clears throat> doubt about this way of life, spiritual, spiritual beings. I had doubt. I didn't have that complete uh, trust and faith in this way, really. But it was there, because what what I look at now <clears throat> is we all have that inherent belief in us. It's there. We just gotta develop it. We just gotta let, let it out, let it let it go, you know, and and so when things would happen, you know, I was I in our in our modern world it's always gotta we always gotta explain things. And there's right. always got to be coincidences or right. whatever you right. want to call them, fate or you know, things like that. So when I was uh, in ceremony and stuff, I witnessed things, you know, I still had kind of doubt in this one ceremony <clears throat> where it's just pitch dark in there and I'm not sure if you've been in one of those singings. Black Lodge? Yeah, it's it's... Everything, uh, men and women are sitting on one side, and uh, and there's an altar there, and there's a, you, you've been in that uh, roundhouse for some of those. Cells, I, I've I done, think. I've done one or two of those. Remember, it was really hot in there. But uh, anything that it, it's pitch dark in it, 
Okay, so in this ceremony, my uncle, when he was when he was alive, he was had, he was had uh, such close relationship with spiritual beings that things would happen unbelievable. One of the things is that this rattle you could hear this rattle hitting the floor. Next thing is hitting the ceiling. Next thing is hitting the wall where they sit, and and I could hear this rattle moving around, and and I'm wondering how how my how's my uncle doing that. Right, yeah. People are sitting on the ground and their legs are sticking out. I'm telling him, he must have a really good memory how people are sitting. So I heard that rattle moving around. Yeah. And it was, I, I knew it was hitting, touching people as it was going on when it's coming to me, you know. So that doubt was there. And when it got to me, <clears throat> I, I was going to reach out and grab whatever it was because I thought it was somebody. But when it got to me, it, it quit shaking, the rattle quit shaking. And then, so it's, you know, it's so dark, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And I was trying to really squint to see what was there, you know, see if I could hear anything. The next thing is uh, uh, about this big, this flash of light, blue, blue light. Mm. And then out of, out of that blue light, a hand came out, a really bony hand came out and grabbed me and shook me by the head. And then it just disappeared and that rattle moved on. You know, and uh, so after that, you know, <clears throat> I started, I believe more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But things happened over my lifetime that showed me that they're real. And because of what happened in my past here, I do at times have doubts, you know, because I was, that condition was so hard when I was in school growing up. And that's why I'm really happy now for in, in our education system, especially on our reservations. They teach about singing, they teach about language. And that really ties in with your identity of believing in these ways, if they can just have more of that in the school systems. Yeah. That helps out was our belief in its ways. One of the hardest things for me is to, to have given myself like the permission to accept that this could be a possibility to not reach can, you know, my conditioning taught me to explain it. Why did this happen? I, I was, I was in a sweat one time and it was really packed, uh, was, was running this one. And, you know, we're like double row, cheek to cheek, right? And I felt what, what I imagined to be like an eagle wing. Like it must have been a huge wing, like a, a very, very large wing, just like flapping right next to me. And, th and there's a real big guy right next to me. I'm pressed up against him. And, and I, like you, at, at the same time that I was experiencing this, I'm thinking, how can he be doing that? Like, how can anyone be standing up in this lodge the way it's so crowded, have the room to move, you know, how'd they bring the eagle wing in here? How did this happen? And, uh, and then I, you know, during, after that round, I went outside and I told about this and was like, yeah, you know, that's right, Kenny, there's an eagle in there. And uh, it was a yellow eagle or something like that. And then I was like, but but how, like, 
how did he do it? Like, did he have, and he was just like, Kenny, you know, just like disappointed. Like, when are you going to, when are you going to allow it? When are you going to learn? And of course, I mean, of course I have to, you have to accept it. When that hand reached out of that blue light, you have to accept that. Yet we still want to explain it away and, and, and part of us, that conditioned part wants to reject it. So it is really good that, that in the Blackfeet district uh, school system, they're, they're teaching allowing, you know, to allow yourself to accept these possibilities that there's, there's a sacredness in life and that, you know, there's more to life than just say the scientific method and, and Newtonian physics or, you know, the, the sort of the physical world that we may be taught to expect because that's the yeah, hardest thing to get over. The, that's the thing is, is it's hard to explain to people to understand it. Like you experience that yourself with that ego, see, and it's hard to explain to people about how these things are. You know, and all you can do is tell them it, and then uh, <clears throat> so all you can do is explain that. You know, things you, you, things even happen out of ceremony and uh, for reasons. And uh, for example, last week there was this guy that comes and sweats. He's a he put on Facebook. I want. I really need a sweat. So and I told him we were sweating Saturday. So we sweated Saturday, and then. <clears throat> we needed some a uh, little bit of groceries and some bread, so I went to the store. And when I was in the store, that's that's who I ran into. And he asked me, "How was this sweat?" I told him, "Who he asked me, did you sweat today?" And I told him, "Yeah." He says, "Well, I didn't come out because I didn't think you were going to sweat because of the weather." So I laughed, you know, and then. Uh, and then we'll start walking away. And then I turned around and I hollered at him. I told him, come here. I told him, think about this. What is the percentage of me and you meeting here? You know, what is the percentage? And he says, and he, he kind of looks at me and says, oh, maybe is this reason why? He lifts up a six pack of oh. near beer, the fake beer. Okay. But I tell him, no. <clears throat> what is the percentage? I told him, you think about this. Why did you run into me? You know? So that, to me, that's the same thing as the ego coming out. <clears throat> See, that's that mysterious, that's a, that's a sacred thing, you know, that things that just happen that you can't explain, but they, things like that happen, you know, when you, when you walk in this road, <clears throat> creator's there to help you, try to remind you of things. Yeah. Open it, he takes that, looks at that <laughs> in that way, see. I like to, I like to put it the same way you do, what is, what's the chance of that happening? And what I like to say is 100%. <laughs> like when that happens, it's because there's no way around it. That had to happen. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's not a coincidence. That's the point. It is not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. So see it, see it, accept it. Yeah.
you talked about songs being taught in the school system and i i'd really like to hear about sort of those those songs do you have your own songs where do the songs come from like i and i love those songs i miss singing them i can't think of them right now at all but i know if i was hearing them again songs especially or or you know those that we would sing on the land there i'd be able to pick it right up and sing along um so do you have any of your own songs oh not any of my own you know the songs or songs have been passed down for generations and uh, those songs are specific specific for certain things like you in the morning you've been in a part of that morning ceremony where we get through smoking the pipes and we're praying then when that sun's coming up we stand up and face the east and we sing that morning song we sing that song welcoming that sun giver a life coming up and a sweater we have songs that start to sweat and that end the sweat so there's songs for for healing the songs for <clears throat> grieving journey songs send a person to the other side so the songs that we have <clears throat> my uncle those were his but also those some of those songs came to my uncle the spirits came to them in ceremonies or in dreams showed them how to sing those songs and how to use them and what they were for and so a lot of those songs came from our, uh <clears throat> different people or sometimes those songs might have been from a relative or friend or and they gave them that give them that song to use so that's what the songs are those are family songs <clears throat> so we'll just family can use them and, uh, they're not my songs what we say is you might have a song that's that you can use that you have rights to sing that's your song and you usually got to get permission if you want to sing those songs and ceremonies and uh, for other things you usually get permission to do those songs <clears throat> so but the songs are uh, you learn them and you sit in the sweat in our ceremony you, you sing with them you learn them those are songs are form of prayer you know that yeah yeah <clears throat> so i sing the same songs that we've been singing way back then I also, my brother gave me some songs to sing, and other people gave me songs to sing. Just, they just uh, really just don't make up songs. Those songs will come to you. That that is, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Not that you wrote a song, but that that um, I, I understood that they did certain people were given these songs exactly yeah they came through to them um so to say it's it's their song that's definitely what i meant uh and yeah sometimes you know if it's if if you know a person's song and you learn it you 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 can't sing it mm-hmm. it's their song unless you get permission to sing it and that's the thing that I, I talk about disharmony is that <clears throat> these people that Google sweat laws or, or 
the songs and they, they sing those songs. They don't really know. They haven't made a relationship with those songs. They don't know how those songs came to be, you know, who made it. They don't know any history of that song. They just sing it, you know. Right. And that there's there's a relationship there with those songs and where they come from. The ancestors that sort of are standing behind those songs or the spirits that are standing behind those songs. Um, and there's an important connection there. Can you say a, a bit more about that? Just so anyone that may, you know, a lot of people may want to, may feel like they're doing something good by by looking at YouTube videos and making a, a lodge and learning some songs, but there's something important that is missing there. And if, if, you know, respectfully, humbly, if you can say something about that, um, I know you said something about it before and you just did again now, but I just feel like that's such an important message. Uh, so if you can just say a little bit more about that, the connection between these elements and, and the ancestors, you know, if you're not given these rights, there's something missing there. Well, it, it all ties back into the belief of unseen powers again, created. It all ties back into how we believe in the spiritual beings. That's what it always ties back into. Because with our, with our people, we have, you know, we have ceremonial songs. We have songs for powwows. We have songs for social dancing. We have songs for games. Songs is for what, every purpose that we have. And it all ties in with our belief that <clears throat> with the unseen powers, the spiritual beings. So when we sing songs, it's there for a purpose, they're for a reason. And it's not like uh, <clears throat> we sing songs for entertainment. Right. We sing these songs because we need to sing these songs just as we need to eat and sleep. You know, it's for what we call <clears throat> attainment attainment for uh, of life a better life that's what these songs are about they connect they bring people together and if you hear a song sometimes and if you <clears throat> and it and it really motivates you excites you whatever it may be as you is that you actually took that spirit of that song into your mind and heart it becomes part of you you know so that's what it's about with our songs. <clears throat> you know, just, we just don't sing them just for entertainment. We sing them for attainment, for life. That's what these songs are about. Connection with the people, connection with the spirits, connection with where the songs come from. We don't really think about that, but that's what, you know, it's in us. If someone feels like they believe very much in uh, spirit, if they if they feel that they have themselves a, a firm understanding or belief or acceptance of that, uh, does it then make it okay for them to go online and you know make a lodge and learn and sing songs? No, they got to be given rights to do that. You gotta, if, if somebody has that song, you gotta ask, give them permission to use that song. That's that connection with our world, relationship. You just don't do things because you think it's right or whatever, you know? <clears throat> That's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah. yeah really important that's that's one of the the tough things to learn like uh if you feel you have a good intention 
then everything's all right. But there's, there's that bigger picture there. You got a lot of white people uh, over the years that have come out there to, to get healed by uh, traditional ways. And I was one of them and it happened, man. For that first time, the first time out of the land, he cracked open like something that needed to be healed that actually just a little over a year ago, sort of had a, a second opening and, and healing from some other traditional ways. And, and that's been so important to me. And Donnie actually following some of your posts on Facebook, they coincided with how this was happening in my life. Interestingly enough, now that I think about it, um, it was from things that happened when I was a child that I'd forgotten about that. I don't, you know, use them as a crutch to, to have a difficult life but they helped me understand why I had had some difficulty. Now I forgot where I was going with this. Um, oh yeah, so you've had a lot of white people over the years that have come out there for healing. And I mean, I live in Sweden now. And ironically, Donnie, I've done a DNA test and I'm 20% Swedish. Never knew that before in my family history. So I do kind of feel like I've kind of come back home in a way and I do feel very much at home here and I also and I know I'm on some kind of psychological or social thin ice by saying this it's easy for me to say especially because I'm over here now but I, I really felt like I was kind of coming back home and and when I look at the history of our our people as a race the human race and what we've done around the world at different times the way that Europeans came over to the Americas and just, I think, to say it in a short way, did some real awful things and it's not right in balance. Um, and now you've got, you know, the ancestors of those people, the modern, you know, descendants of the, the Europeans that came over there that come out for healing. Um, is that still happen a lot? And and I ask this out of the the way that some people feel like they have a good intention and they want to take in this these ways, but there needs to be this respect and understanding there. And that that led me to to remind of this this way that white people almost come to native ways to ask forgiveness and healing. Um, and I don't have a specific question about that, Donnie, but gosh, I. I mean, that's gotta, that's gotta be sometimes just so loud and, and clear. And I don't know how, what you, what your feelings have been about that. And if they've well, changed. One, of, one of the things is that, you know, for uh past, uh, what is it going on? Five years now, four years. We haven't had that camp the way it was before. Yeah. Okay. Changed. And, uh, but you know, the thing is even before then, and with the sweats I do here and witnessing other things with other ceremonies, sun dances, you get a lot of non-native coming to this. Yeah. And <clears throat> we've, we've talked about it very, my various relatives and friends and people I sweat with. We, we, uh, there's people are searching, searching for something in this world to help them in their, their lives. And <clears throat> so they they get, get tired of the, uh, what do you call it, the, 
the religions that they've been in, you know, and uh, they want something more. It's more natural, nature, things like that. So they come to us. And here's some that, like with you and other people, that take it in, understand it, and try to do their best to follow and live this way. But there are some people that or they're curious, but also they're, they're looking at, they come at it as a hobby in a sense. Mm -hmm. And when they find out that this, this way of life, it's not one, two hours a week. It's every day. And you have to do practice this way of life every day. It's even when you sleep. And when it comes out to the sweats, you know, they usually don't come out until it's ready to ready to go inside the sweat. There's hardly anyone that will come out at beginning to help build the sweat, get the rocks ready, clean out the sweat, you know, do the work. And when the sweat is done, they just leave. They don't stick around to help clean up, get the fire out or put things away, you know. But the ones that stick around for the entire thing, the ones that come out to help get rocks and wood, they're the ones that understand, you know, the commitment to this way of life. So we, we get modern non-native people out there and we just try to help them out best we can, you know? And we don't tell them this is the best way, the only way, we just tell them this is what we do. It's up to you to accept it and to walk it if you want, you know, it's your choice. So they come out and try it for a while, then they leave. There's, there's, I still have some uh, non-natives that's been with me for quite a while now, you know. <clears throat> so. Thanks. Yeah, you know, it's like, um, I think a lot of people feel rootless, like we, there's, there's a lack of tradition, you know, that's as, as holy, that's lasted through time, um, that they can, that they have to look at, you know, there are more of these, like, official churches that, that they're, you know, taught to believe in, but it sort of lacks a, a heart or the direct experience, in, unless they do, unless they're able to, as everyone does to, to have a, a humble experience to be, to have humility and to really pray and open your heart. And then you can experience everyone, no matter where you come from, what color, what your background is, you can experience understanding of spirit or I say all this very humbly, but just to point in the direction, God, spirit, angels, um, holy beings, like, you know, anyone can, but when you come from a, culture that doesn't have that rooted in its tradition, you definitely can feel lost and want to seek it out. You had taken me up uh, to fast a couple times. And one time was with a, a guy, another white guy who was following some Cheyenne ways. Uh, maybe you're still in touch with him. Um, 
but he went up there. He just would cover himself with a sheet and like stay seated the whole time. That was different from the way that I was taught. So he'd, he'd cover himself up with a sheet and stay in one position for, I think we did two nights that time. And uh, the way you taught and were taught uh, myself and others was, you know, you go up there and you make the circle and you can go out, you can walk around, uh, you can smoke tobacco, but basically the whole point is that you're praying, you're praying and you don't eat food and you don't drink water and you don't even do it in your dreams. That's what reminded me of this. You just said, you know, there are things that you, you live this way of life all the time, even in your dreams. Why is fasting like that important? What is it? What, what is it for? And why can't you drink water or eat food even in your dreams? Oh, I don't. It's kind of hard to control your dreams in, uh, in a lot, a lot of times. So, but usually, <clears throat> when you're fasting, you might dream about food or water. You know, you might. But, but some of the things there is that uh, we can give offerings. We can give tobacco, we can give cloth, we can give fish and berries, we can give different kinds of offerings to the spirits to help us. But ultimately, <clears throat> what in our, a lot of our sermons, you, 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 you think back, a lot of our sermons, there's always some kind of suffering going on. In a sweat lodge, you're enduring heat, you're sitting on hard ground, you might be cramped. And there, there's some type of suffering going on all the time in all of our ceremonies. And so for one of the things is that we think of, take a look at uh, commitment to ourselves. Mm. So the ultimate offering is yourself. Mm. That's the ultimate offering. And that's what you do. You show the Creator, you call the Holy, Holy Spirit, and I'm also offering myself. I'm going to suffer. So you're going to suffer for spirit helpers. You're going to suffer for someone that's sick so that the spiritual beings can look at you and say, yeah, he's, he's, he believes, he's committed. He's total, physical, emotional, mental, spiritual, doing this, you know, for what he wants and believes and will let's help him out so that's what it is you're showing the spiritual beings their commitment to this way of life the belief in the spiritual beings that whatever you're doing that they'll look at you and take pity that you're just a human being you're pitiful and that's what we want the spirits to look at to help you that's part of going without food and water Sundance is I've been in you know the old con Blackfeet ways, but I've also done uh, other Sundances that came to the reservation, the Cinnaboins and the White Clay people. We've we've taken our Sundances on a reservation here with the Yellow Kidney family. So those have expanded. So that's what <coughs> going without food and water is about. Can you explain the Sundance simply for those that don't know? 
what's involved? Mm. <laughs> There's two different kinds of old con that came from uh, <clears throat> part of our creation stories. And also we uh, have the Sundances that the Yellow Kidney family bring on a reservation. So it's, a, it's a, one of our most, oh, how can I say, prestigious or whatever you want to, uh, the most important ceremonies in our, with the Plains tribes. Because we have them in the summertime and they're done <clears throat> once a year. And uh, the ones I've been involved with, the Yellow Kidney family, you know, they, uh, they're, uh, the reason why that came to the reservation is because of our strict protocol. With our old cons, our Blackfeet ways, a woman has to be the main partner with the sponsor in a Sundance. We can't have a Sundance without a woman. That woman has to be virtuous to sponsor that Sundance. They make a vow to do the Sundance with a partner, another man. And even that man has to be have been with one partner in our life. It can't be with uh, other three or four women or three or four guys in your life, you know, you gotta be married to one, be with one all the life. So that's what that Okan is on our ceremony that come from our spiritual beings. They gave us our sundances to help us continue to sacrifice, to worship, make that connection with the bond, the holy people, people come together, ceremony. And that's <clears throat> the only way I can explain it is, uh, it's just a long, really long story. And with the yellow kidney, you know, those, that Sundance came from uh, uh, <clears throat> the Cinnaboins and the white clay people. And uh, re the reason why is because of, uh, what I understand, I, th I think his, his wife died and she had a dream of bringing a Sundance back to our people. Because back in the 60s, they were kind of not having so many anymore on this side of on our reservation, we're having a lot of them over across the border with our relatives across the border. But she knew how important the Sundances were, so she told her husband to uh, fulfill her vow, her dream. And she passed away from cancer. So he, that's what he did. So he had to go outside, uh, go to different tribes to learn. And so he brought it back. And so that <clears throat> one of the things is with that there is uh, I learned a lot more about myself. Have you? That family used to invite me out there to the Sundances. So that's one of the conditioning that I was taught is that there is only one way to pray, one way to worship. And Blackfeet was the only way. So I was, I was being prejudiced. I was being biased and I was being a hypocrite because my uncle, he's one that told me if anybody asks you to pray, you go pray with them, you do that. And so I finally did go out there. It took me about three years before I got 
involved with it. I went out there and watched it for distance. Each year I got closer. Each year, I, in the final year, I got involved with helping build that launch. And when I was in that Sundancer, I realized how much of a hypocrite I was. Mm. I realized that these people, even though if it wasn't Blackfeet Way, they were still praying to the Creator. They were still sacrificing themselves. They were still believing in the Holy Spirits. And I watched men pierce. And uh, <clears throat> I realized that they, the love that was there. So I, I, I realized how much of a hypocrite I was by not going out there. So I, so it helped me out be more aware of myself and the teachings that was given to me to carry those on. So, you know, <clears throat> that's why uh, it's, it's, it's just uh, the Sundance is uh, it's just a really complicated, not complicated, but it's, I don't want to start talking about it now because it's that's really cool. Good. All right. Yeah. We can leave it. Thank you very, very much. Very, very much. And if you want, we can even back up and back that out if you'd rather. We can talk. Oh, that's about all, right. It. all right, cool. Donnie, thank you very much. Um, wow. That was intense. That was really great. Uh, I'm a bit, I'm just going to take a moment to find the space where we're at. Well, how do you feel right now? Should we close this up? Do you have to? Yeah, I'm getting a little bit tired. Here. Okay, cool, cool. Um, well, let's do that then. Uh, I cannot, I cannot explain to you how nice it is to, even if you don't have. Have I become more familiar now that I'm talking? <laughs> I used to have long hair, didn't have a beard. I had a dog named Golden who was often with me out there, and you took me and Nadine up on the hill one year. Here's a story you might remember. You were in the arbor. You're resting in the arbor one afternoon, right? The sacred arbor. And in the afternoon in the hot sun, it was a nice place to kind of relax against one of those poles. And I came up to you and I wanted to, to talk to you. And, uh, and I reached in my pocket and took out what I thought was like a wet wipe, uh, like a moist towelette to clean my hand, right? Because I was going to come up and shake your hand. And, and instead, what I took out and I ripped open, it was a condom. And I started to rub it on my hand just as I was about to reach out and shake your hand. Does this ring a bell to you? It was a pretty hilarious moment. <laughs> no? <laughs> no, I don't. I remember you. I do. All right, all right, all right. Good. Yeah, I do. I remember your voice. And uh, and I know you, you've changed with your hair and stuff. Or, I remember. Yeah. It's, it, it has been so – it just lives in my heart. It, I can't – I won't say every day. But so often it lives in my heart, those, those days there, the lessons that I've learned, they're still with me. Your voice, man, I, I was telling my wife how excited I am to talk to you because I remember you so clearly, like as if we just talked yesterday. So it's been so nice to hear your voice again and talk with you. I have a lot of love and respect for you. Thank you for taking the time to do this. You bet. And I sure hope that I get to see you out there in Montana again sometime. Um, if I'm lucky, that gets to happen. And who knows when and where and how, but uh, I, I sure hope so. Cause a big part of my heart 
is out there and uh, I'd love to see you and a, and a bunch of your family again. So hopefully that can happen still. Yeah. We'll see. All right. Thank you so much. Um, if there are some things, if there's any, anything that you want included, we can, we'll message about that, like in the description or uh, any links or anything like that. If people have questions, if there are any follow-up questions for people that are listening to this, do you want me to, uh, I'll, I'll ask them to send them to me at the, at my email for this all one time live at Gmail. And, uh, if you're open to it, we can share them between us and, and maybe you'll have some answers and, and, uh, maybe there won't even be any questions, but, um, we can leave it at that. So if there are any questions, comments, you can email me as usual, all one time live at gmail.com. And, and then we'll take it from there and, and just leave it open. Donnie, thank you so much. Okay. And, and love and greetings to your whole family too. All right. All right. Bye for now.